Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Let's go. Last and final. And best. And best episode. Ever. Where we just just blow our minds. Thank you. Thank you very much. We are here. My friend Jordy and I. Hello. Episode five of five. I say it now. Of Anti-Fragile by the great Nassim Taleb. And we have walked through hell. We've talked about fragility, robustness, anti-fragility. We just we just went so hard on options. And now we're going to finish up. We're going to talk about linearity and non-linearity, which is actually crazy and real. And then we're going to close this bitch out. Whew. Let's go. Okay. Small talk done. Non-linear versus linear. What is that? So, linear would be 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 4. Linear would be like you make you can save $100 a month and you know by the end of the year you have $1200. Like it goes up very yes. regularly. That's can, good. Yep. Yep. Nonlinear would be like compound interest. Compound interest. Exactly. So, and we're going to define this shit a lot, but um in the mid 1990s, Taleb wrote a crazy book. He um he just made fuck you money in 1987, and he said he quietly deposited his necktie in the trash can at the corner of 45th Street and Park Avenue in New York. So he, I respect that. I dude, I feel the same fucking disgust for suits. Yep. It's just like cool. I can't fight in this. He literally made that in a day. Yeah. Yeah. It's one day. Totally. <laughs> he decided to take a few years off and locked himself in the attic. I would do that. No, I know you would. Trying to express what was coming out of his guts, trying to frame what he called hidden nonlinearities. And the byproduct of this is he wrote this 600 page book called Dynamic Hedging, which I have not read that. I don't think anyone should read it. Exotic options, whatever that Exotic means. Exotic options, techniques to manage and handle complicated nonlinear derivative exposures. Insane. But he kind of got popular, actually. And he entered hell. And in the in after the crisis of the late 2000s, he went through an episode of hell, which is basically people wanted to talk to him. The press. And he, I'm not kidding. That's what he describes. It. His worst nightmare. So he said basically everyone wanted to talk to him. And it gave him emotional distress because he just wanted to take scalps and not go to fancy dinners. But then he remembered he had fuck you money. So he opted out of public life again. When he managed to retake control of his schedule and his brain, he recovered from the deep injuries in his soul. He learned to use email filters, which Jordy and I are victims of. Auto-delete functions, probably victims of that too, and restarted his life. It's an honor. And it was at that time that Lady Fortuna, Fortuna, the fate, brought two ideas to him, making him feel stupid for realizing that it had been inside him all along. The non-linear is all around us. Clearly, the tools of analysis of non-linear effects are quite universal. The sad part it was, is that until the day 
in his new new so back again solitary life of being a walker and a chamomile drinker he looked at a porcelain cup and it was it was then that the heavens opened up that he realized that he discovered the way in his crazy complicated trader book but that way could be applied to the world he noticed that looking at the porcelain cup that it did not like volatility or variability or action it just wanted calm and to be left alone and he realized that fragility was simply vulnerability to the volatility of the things that affect of let's, the of the thing go ahead i was i was going to say let's talk about why the the cup is an example of something nonlinear. Why is yeah. it nonlinear? So if I poke the cup, it just moves a little bit. If I flick it, it moves a little bit more. If I hit it against the table, it explodes into a thousand pieces. Meaning, if I double... Yes, the response is not straightforward. It's not a straight line. You know, yes. if you double the dose, you get a w- more, lot more or a lot less. You get 10 times the damage. Yeah. Like it, it, yeah, it, the the higher the more force you put in, the 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 damage to that cup goes up faster than the force you put in. Like there's a point if you get shot in the head with a pellet gun, there there's like a, a point where like you're fine, you're fine, and you're like, ow, that hurt, ow, all oh, that dented my skull, ow, and then like you hit a point where you're dead. Yeah, it's like if you if you could divide a, 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 a divide a one pound rock in or divide a you know a one pound rock into 10 getting hit with those 10 pebbles doesn't hurt you at all. But getting hucked in the fucking head with, with a, a one with pound, a one rock, pound rock, rock, you die. That's a problem. Yeah. So it's nonlinear. Same thing. Drinking seven bottles of wine in one <laughs> sitting is different than drinking one bottle. Yeah. That gets seven. bad quickly. Yeah. Yeah, dude, you're, I'm not kidding, man. You're buying cows online. You're sleeping on the tile floor, buying three hundred dollars of Ethereum. Waking up like, well, I guess that was a good investment. Well, and then, but the the point being that the sixth bottle of wine does it doesn't affect you as much as the seventh. Right. Every additional glass of wine harms you way more than, than the, the previous one. Yes, that's nonlinear. And fragility is generally nonlinear. And why we fucking care. So he says, let me explain the central argument why fragility is generally nonlinear. And it's the same thing. It's the intuition from the porcelain cup. The answer has to do with the structure of survival probabilities, conditional on something being unharmed or having survived. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Think about, think about this. Think about a uh, power grid. If you, had, if you said, hey, we're going to make... Actually, I think it's even worse than this, but let's just say uh, Indiana... We're gonna we're gonna be super efficient and get power to every home in Indiana in, in Indiana uh, as efficiently as possible and as cheaply as possible by making everyone on one single power grid. That is extremely efficient but extremely fragile. Meaning that okay, if there's if there's a decently bad storm like a normal storm, nothing happens. But if you get a bad storm, the entire state could lose power. Yeah, and that's non-linear because it goes from like decently bad to Every, total fucking. No chaos. one has any energy, and so it, it goes. It gets bad extremely quickly. So that's why we want to have the one side of the barbell just totally covered up against those types of risks, removing fragility because many times fragility is this spiraling death fragility. It's not just like oh my shin. It's like. You're homeless because like, let's say you have $20,000 losing $10,000. Your first $10,000 is bad. That's really sad. 
losing your second is really bad. Right. Go. Yeah. And Go. losing and losing that, and then being in a in horrible debt. Is even worse. Uh, yeah, and then you go to cre- get a credit card and buy something for ten thousand dollars. Like every single chunk of ten thousand or ten grand is way worse than the previous ten grand you lost. So we so we remove that fragility on the one side because that's take, the that's the worst amount of money to lose. Totally. Yeah. But then we can flip it around yeah. and we can take advantage of the nonlinearity of the anti-fragile. So on the other end, the anti-fragility too is grounded in non-linearities and non-linear responses. For the anti-fragile, shocks bring more benefits, equivalently less harm as their intensity increases. Damn. There's a there's some like economic concept. I think it's called like marginal utility or something like that. I can't remember what it's called. Diminishing marginal utility. Yeah, meaning like your tenth house is not as useful to you as your first house. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said there too. That's somehow related. Side note, keep going. Yes, yes. The point is, it's everywhere. Yes, and so he talks about he talks about convexity and concavity, and it gets all fucking complicated. And I can't spin shapes in my brain. I think I got mental illness, and uh, so it was very confusing for me. But the summary is, as we've been defining nonlinearity, that can happen for um, for anti-fragile things too. And so it can be good, it can be bad. That convexity effect, which is basically just like that spiraling that one plus one equals a thousand type thing. So let's let's think about uh, traffic, okay? So let's say that let's say that you're a little Colorado town, and you know you you're running your forecast models, and you got you got two roads out of your town, and you say, well, you know, only the only the craziest, like on the craziest thing, like let's pretend 20% of the, of the population, 30% of the population leave the town at once. Your, mm-hmm. your, your two, your two roads are good, but now let's take, let's, let's take a real example. 60%. Let's say that there's a wildfire mm-hmm. and that's a real thing that happens in Colorado. Yes. And now a hundred percent of your people have to leave the, leave the town. You have grid gridlock for seven hours, and eight thousand people burned to death. Yeah, so like even if you if you made it a slightly smaller instead smaller instead thirty percent as or thirty percent versus say three times that say ninety percent of the people it's there's th- more than three times the damage yeah done with that than the thirty percent trying to leave town right and that and that's why actually that um, fire drills in schools are so smart because you know you if every kid if imagine all these little seven-year-old banshees like trying to like run out of the school that's everybody's dead it's like yeah <laughs> but if you have a fire drill and you're like okay so we know that this class goes this way this class goes this way you know with with the sequences of when people leave the building you know if if you have 30 classes but it's a structured thing where everybody walks out of the building in you know every 15 seconds that's totally fine but if you have all 30 classes trying to leave the building at once you got a lot of dead children which I, I, is horrible 
I saw this other example with back to traffic. There would be no traffic if all of the cars knew when the other cars were stopping and starting. You could you could zoom you know thousands of cars down the highway if they all accelerated and braked at the same time. The issue is that some of them break, and then you have that snaking issue where yeah, you, and, and it goes you know some break, then the ones behind them have to break, and then they start driving again, and the other ones there's like a delayed reaction. But if they all stopped and started at the same time, you could have that continuous flow. But can't do that. Self-driving cars will solve that problem. Bingo. So we got to talk about a concept that's so insane called a squeeze. So GameStop. Well, GameStop's an example, but this is a really, this is a concept that I think if you, if you understand it, you start to see it everywhere. So what is a squeeze? A squeeze is, is what occurs when people have no choice but to do something. Do it right away, regardless of the cost. So let's say that your sister's getting married overseas. You buy a ticket to go to India. You spend $400 on your ticket. The marriage is tomorrow. Well, or the wedding's tomorrow. Your flight is canceled. The only other flight that you can get to make it there on time is $4,000. Oh, man. What do you do? You yeah. have to buy it. Yeah. You're fucking forced to spend 10 times as much. That's a squeeze. You're out of options. You are out of options. You're option poor. And he gives such a good example right here, which I think is like kind of crazy, but illustrative. Owning an elephant. So squeezes get worse with size too. Mm. So imagine you own an elephant. You know, you just got a big bonus. It's 60 grand to get an elephant, but you made 300 you had, grand. You had seven bottles of wine. Yeah, you bought an elephant online because you had seven bottles of wine. Um, so let's just pretend that you that there's a water shortage hence a squeeze because you gotta you gotta take care of your elephant since you have no choice but to shell out the the money for water you'd have to pay a higher and higher price for each additional gallon of water so where a small little animal like a dog or a cat you know it's you like oh buy one whatever gallon, yeah. for an elephant that needs 70 gallons a day or something <laughs> you know all of a sudden you're a little little 60 grand little elephant to keep it alive turns into a million 70 <laughs> grand a day or yeah, something yeah exactly and that's that's a squeeze that's really important what's some other examples or what do we, what does this mean for us um so uh, as with the idea of having elephants as pets squeezes are much much more expensive for large corporations so like I think what he's saying is it's it's like that centralized versus decentralized thing. It's like when anything's too big, you know, if, if there's a squeeze, you can, you know, something can come crashing down so fast. And so I think he's also saying like, he's not saying don't own an elephant. He's saying rather be, be aware of the asymmetric water and food risks that owning an elephant comes with. Right. So if you own an elephant, but when water's really cheap, you have a year and a half of water reserves. Yep. And then, you know, you've got 70 banana trees, whatever elephants eat. Then, then you're... Peanuts. Yeah, peanuts. <laughs> then, you know, on paper, what's really wasteful, because like, wait, so you have, you have 40 grand of water just stored for your elephant? You're like, bitch, I don't want to talk about it. But He's like, like, yes. Yeah, I do. Fuck you. Yeah, yes. get, get out of my face. Get out. Um, leave. What on paper seems really wasteful in a water sh shortage, 
you will survive. But think about this. You could even thrive. Maybe you kill your elephant for meat or you sell it or something. And then now you sell this water for a, I don't know, a 700% profit. So what does this mean basically for us? This, to me, this is relating to the nonlinearity um, issue. You can think about, say you have like a, a like a, don't be squeezed in a nonlinear, nonlinear situation, or you could be actually or, ruined or squeezes are nonlinear. Right. And so, uh, yeah, but you, but you said too, so you think about the spectrum of risk, the squeezes only happen out on the ends of those, of those spectrums of risk and the squeeze in and of itself, the consequence of a squeeze is like as bad as all of the other consequences of that on that risk spectrum combined. And so the takeaway is if you have to do one thing, if you have to decide how to act, you're the rational thing to do, like the mathematical thing to do is to mitigate the effects of that squeeze before you do anything else. Because dude, that's yes. right. Because because if if you're looking, you know, the, the squeeze is that is that example of the stupid example of you're playing poker and you could pay 50 grand to get your brain tumor removed, but if you don't, one out of a thousand chance you're going to just die. Yeah. Like the consequence is way worse than 50 grand. Yeah, if you're if you're looking at your business and there's a low probability chance that you have to liquidate everything and, you know, a thousand people you no longer have a job and you're destitute it'd be pretty smart to get that option off the table. I'm going to, I'm going to try to protect some people here, but there's a personal example that I know of, of let's just say there is a, a business that I work. Yes. There's a business that I've worked with before. I'm a videographer. There's a business that I've worked with. It's a small business, uh, but decent size. It's not tiny. Uh, they decided that they are going to have 100% of their employees be self, uh, independent contractors. Um, what they're, and so it's all 1099. The, the, they're also asking them to be treated, like have a, an employee-employer relationship with them, meaning they're, they're also requiring a lot of their employees to have a, um, to, to, to give in a, a lot of control to their employer under a 1099 contract. What does all that jargon mean? It means that everything works fine unless they get randomly audited by the IRS. Then this is this has happened. I've seen a, a, several cases of this. If that were to happen, the IRS is going to look at that business and go, "Wait a minute, it, you, this looks like you just skimped out of withholding taxes to exploit your you exploited your right, employees." Like, hey, you're 1099, but you have to do everything a normal employee does. Yes. But you're 1099, wink, but, wink. But that's what they're doing. But it's like, oh, they, they frame it. The business frames it as, oh, we're going to be 1099, but like we're going to be nice and treat you like an employee as long as you like let us control you a certain amount. <laughs> but the IRS would look at that and go, hey, looks like you're trying to exploit your employees to avoid taxes. That's not going to make us happy. So my point being, I saw a business do this one time and I go, that's going to work fine until it's not going to work. And it, when it doesn't, it's going to be bad. Dude, like, and that's a perfect segue because... That's a squeeze. Totally. And he he talks about how in 2003, so way before the financial crisis, 2003, he got some secret documents where he got to look at the, the, the model for Fannie Mae. Oh, God. And what he, what he found was that on average, very safe. But... On that one 
one or two outside conditions like you just talked about, you add a, you increase one variable and the the negative harm linear no, non-linearly increases. So yes, what he found was like if this rare event happens, then the forecasts aren't like 20% wrong. They're like 8,000% wrong. Let me, let me let me make it concrete. It's yep. like 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 let's say tell me if this is wrong but like okay, there's a 2% chance that risk a happens. If risk A happens, we have to pay $10,000. If the government finds out that we're doing this 1099 thing, yeah, our business is done. Yeah, but it's like but if you put math on it, it's like okay, there's a 2% chance of risk A. If that happens, then I have to pay 10 grand. There's a 1% chance of risk B. So just so half is likely. So just half, but if risk B happens, 1% chance, we have to pay $8 million. So yeah. it's like it's a small change in the risk but a vast difference in the consequence. Totally. And then what Mr. Taleb is saying is given enough time, risk, risk A will happen. Or risk B. With the, with the, the bad one. one. The, with the bad one <laughs> the will bad happen. One. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly what he's saying. It's yeah. Fannie Mae. Yeah, and it's, it's like instead of dinner coming out an hour late, plus or minus 20 minutes, it's like... A bomb threat gets called in. You get you get taken back to the kitchen and waterboarded with boi- <laughs> boiling oil while dogs eat on you. Yeah, it gets bad quick. And he kept telling anyone who would listen, including random taxi drivers, like Fanny Mae, and, and they're like, "God damn it, who's this? This is this mentally ill Lebanese man won't shut up. Lives in his attic. <laughs> yeah, he lives in his attic, just a fucking falmer from Skyrim, like just just lumbers down. And he's like, "Where do you want to go?" He's like. I want to drink chamomile tea. I don't want to go anywhere. He's like, like, I'm a flaneur. Surprise well, me. <laughs> well, you got in my damn taxi. Like, well. Fuck you. Tell, let me tell hey, you about Freddie Mae. <laughs> meter's running. I just want a friend today. I run out of prostitutes. <laughs> okay, sir. Jesus Christ. But of course, blow-ups don't happen every day. So there were all these people who were responding to him and were like, hey, man, that's bullshit because look at these 30 years of good performance. Chicken little. Exactly. And, and I think a clarification here is it's easy to be like, oh, that's a narrative. Because he's said all this thing about like narratives, narratives, narratives. But that's actually not a narrative at all. He's not saying that this specific thing is going to happen that's going to cause Fannie Mae to have a problem. He says, if any of these variables go up, a nonlinear bad thing happens. So I think there's an underlying problem with the system. And, and he... Keep in mind, he was not predicting. He wasn't saying, hey, this thing is going to happen and it's going to cause this outcome. He was saying, look, any number of crazy events could cause these variables to go up or down or whatever. And if that were to happen, which given enough time it will, then the entire thing blows up. So he wasn't predicting. Totally. Yeah. And he was also um, detecting like the thing that... So we talk about time. The thing, I, I didn't understand time before this. Like, I mean, I didn't understand time. No, but I, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. But um, I didn't understand speed. Mm, elaborate. So, I got to tell a story. So, I uh, have a good friend. Good friend seems to be in all these podcasts because he's my just like my heterosexual life partner. Um, but I am horrible, horrible at navigation. Like, I jokingly alluded to that I might, like, I can't spin shapes in my brain. But like, I actually am so bad at navigating that I think, like it almost makes me not believe in the growth mindset. 
Um, because <laughs> I'm so bad. It's like, am I? I'm actually. Carol Dweck was wrong. I know. It's like I actually have dyslexia or something. But, <laughs> and I seriously, I looked it up, and like there is a location-based dyslexia that like. You might have it. I like I know. actually, I don't know. Like when I did when I did geometry, I, th- I got like A plus in proofs because it was linear like that 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 yeah. that, and then I got like not even an F, like worse <laughs> than an F in spinning the shapes around. Oh god! <laughs> so I think yeah, whatever. So for some smart reason that I can't say on air, uh, I was in charge of navigating us back from Bloomington oh to DePauw, and so. We were trying to go back, and I and my friend is driving, and he he gives me the question, east or west? And I'm like, oh, 50% chance. <laughs> east. Wrong answer. And so, <laughs> Super wrong. And so we go east. Oh, God. And we're going. Go to I, Ohio. And I'm like real confident. And, uh, and then our phones, both of them, because we didn't have any fucking redundancy, both of our phones now at 20% battery Ooh. and it's dark Ooh. and then I see a park ranger vehicle and then we're in the woods and I'm like oh fuck and then the gaslight comes on oh, and then God. my my friend's phone dies <laughs> and all we have is 120 power raids in the back <laughs> and we're like we were laughing before but we're like uh Dude, I'm actually scared. And he's like, I'm scared too. I'm like, me too. So I call my friend. I like my last bit of battery. Yeah. I call my fucking friend. Phone a friend. And I say, bro, we're fucking lost in the forest. I can't find Pa. Help me, man. Help me. And he's like, go west. Yes. Dumbasses. And we're like, oh, thank God. And that was the most, that was the most, the most amazing voice I'd ever heard in my life. Yep. And even though he called me that mean names and then my phone died, Dude. but we turned around and we made it back to DePaul like two in the morning for our, Dude. for our 9am class. But the thing that I didn't understand is that this nonlinear effect is that it quickly gets worse. Like one phone dies. No big deal. Two phones die. Oh fuck. All of them die. Gas. Gas, gas lights on we like yes we were like we're gonna run out of gas and have no with, phones with no phones in the middle of the fucking forest oh yeah in the dark in the dark this is where serial killers live yeah like it got bad quickly and then every problem made other problems worse so it compounds right and so yeah so now the lesson i've taken from that is like I always fill like today I had about a 40% tank of gas. Dude, I do this. I filled up my tank all the way. Dude, I do this too. And I also have a phone charger in my car all the time. I keep my phone supercharged. I look at the map and I don't just like follow the GPS like a dumbass. I like try to think about it as, as slow as I possibly can. Like I try to I try to visualize the map so like if it does, if my phone does die, or if like I don't have service, there's like a hope that you like can make I it. at least can make it to civilization and be like, how do I get to DePaul? It's funny you say that because I, after reading Black Swan and Anti Fragile, I had I had this like first of all I had this like extreme bout of like paranoia. I'm like I'm not prepared for anything. Oh my god! And so I started thinking about optionality, and I started thinking what are a few things that solve a lot of problems. That's what I need to focus on first. And one of the things was the ability to have a charged phone. If you have a charged phone, that solves a lot of problems. And yeah. so you know you can get those little like um, 
like little external batteries that you can like yeah. plug your phone into. I like bought a bunch of those and like stash them. Dude, that's smart. I have them like in my bag. I have them in like every bag. I've got some in my car. I've got some at home because I'm like, because even if our gas, even if the car ran out of gas, yeah, if we had a charged phone, yeah, you, you know, get, we call fucking AAA or something. Call and the like, police. Call AAA. Hey, call, yeah. we're you're we're so dumb. You're gonna tell everybody about us, but like, yep. I need help. Yeah, you could call the for your your friend or someone to come help you. I or think come it was get even, you. I think it was even raining. So there like you go. we were gonna be we were gonna like have to cuddle in the car. Yes, I, I literally came up with like if you have a charged phone, uh, cash and a tourniquet, that's like solves and a full tank of gas and a full tank of gas and a pistol. And dude, you got you're good. I mean, yeah, seriously. <laughs> like eighty twenty would say you're good in many situations. And add in a bug out bag, but like not every situation. Yeah, but it's the it's like that is the best you can do. Like each one of those solves so many emergencies. I would also say a uh, a case of water in the back of your car. Yep. There was a we went to a three day metal concert and I had like a life, emergency, emergency I, blanket. Yeah. So you don't fucking like or just just be a man. Yeah. Don't do that. Just get into an <laughs> no, hypothermia that's is how real. You, that's how you die. Um, but we went to the three day metal concert and we, you know, we were drinking at 10 a.m. because that's what you got to do. We were trying to like plan our, our drinking so that we, you know, because we didn't want to pay $15 for a beer. And so, uh, but then there's a rain delay and then we were back out and um, we were so thirsty and we're like, water. And then I find my case of water that I had left. Yep. And we just chug water until we're hydrated. Yep. And it was like, I didn't predict. I didn't plan anything. That system worked with the unpredictableness of like, we're pretty hammered and we need water. Yeah. But it also would have worked where like, I'm dehydrated after a run. Or you get you get lost and you actually are in the woods and you have to spend the night in the woods and you're dehydrated. It's like that solves so many situations. So yeah, totally. Yes. Okay. Not so. Linear. The last thing we need to talk about is the Lindy effect. Ah, uh, and I, I like this one. I came into it with a lot of bias, and I don't like it. I think I know what you're gonna say, and I'm excited. But to we need to talk about it. it. Okay. So basically, the Lindy effect is the concept that if anything is, it, like, if anything's been around for a long time, it's more likely that it's gonna be around for for a longer time every year that something's been around increases the odds that it's around for an additional year so yeah so like let's let's think about some examples so a husband and a wife get married and there's a monogamous relationship okay, okay. that's been a lot that's been around a lot like there's been some deviations you know like you got a couple girlfriends you you know some cultures have multiple wives but i think we can be pretty fucking sure that in a hundred years there's going to be monogamous relationships. Yeah, it, like it's taken slightly different forms, but most cultures have the, most cultures that have survived have been based around monogamous relationships. Most polyamorous cultures end up collapsing. Yeah, and and another example is uh, over time, people tend to trade with each other. Yes, and so you know that's something where every year that people continue to trade with each other it becomes more and more likely that people will still continue to trade with each other yeah here's a, here's one um go if you go 
if you go to New York City, and it's not, you know, you can't, can't go right now because it's not a very nice place right now. But anyway, usually um, COVID. Yeah, COVID. But but uh, if you, you get would, that get that lung AIDS. Oh yeah. But if uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. No, Except just kidding. This is not medical advice. If you go to, if you go, <laughs> not medical advice. Carry on. <laughs> please be careful. Um, the, if you go to Broadway and you look at which plays have been around. Guess what's yes, gonna good be? Example. Guess which play is gonna, which musical is gonna be there? Phantom of the Opera. It's been around so long, and it's like plays are gonna or musicals are gonna come and go. But if you had to bet money, you sh- you would be safe to bet that. Guess what? Next year, one of those musicals is gonna be Phantom of the Opera. So two things. So one is that's kind of counterintuitive because there's this there's this feeling that like. Oh, something new, like the next new technology. That's going to be the next big thing. Like this new app where, you know, Vine, Vine, TikTok, but like maybe, but, but maybe not. No, I, I, and, and Taleb talks about this, that most technology makes an old form of doing things more efficient. So it's not that like an iPad, that is a tablet. That is a more efficient tablet. Tablets are old as fuck. But when you totally... But then when you try to predict the future, what can you do? Well, you can be pretty sure that the fragile things are going to fall apart. And let's dig into the technical reasons. Time equals volatility. Fragile things have a nonlinear negative response to volatility. Therefore, the more time that passes by, you would expect more and more of the fragile things to have disappeared from this world. Totally. Now, I, I think that my biggest complaint yeah. and tell, issue with this is just, just go hard. Tell him why he's wrong. I don't want to say why he's wrong, dude. I'm staring at Mark Ripito staring <laughs> in my fucking soul. Taleb's going to come through this and, window and stab and, you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't even know if the laws of physics obey Taleb. No. Um, okay. So there's this fallacy called the naturalistic fallacy. Yep. Which is something that's natural is good. He, he addresses this, by the way. He does, but he kind of, in my mind, he's just like, well, you're a dumbass if you think the naturalistic no, fallacy no. applies. No, no, no. Hold on, bitch. Um, so, but the naturalistic fallacy is basically if something's old, it's good. Or if something's natural, it's good. And I used to fall so hard into this. Like, I didn't even understand that it was a fallacy. So, like, I fell deep into the paleo world because my thought was, you know, well, we evolved to eat these foods. And so, um, you know, grains a poison and we evolved to eat like hunter gatherers. But I didn't really take it to the logical step further of like, maybe, or maybe, you know, that's just like, it's not like broke ass people who all they have to eat is spam like they just evolved to live off spam like my ancestors have, my ancestors have been living off spam for decades it's like no they're taking what they can get and i fell for it again with the you know with the the shoes that don't have any soles and i was wearing those like vibram five finger shoes to like this yeah i know because he i think he's falling hard for the naturalistic fallacy in some ways um but i think some of this is valid so we need to talk about it but then, like, I wore the Sakwas. Remember those? Those are those are so comfortable. Yeah. Those are great, actually. But, like, I wore them on concrete. And I wore them on rocks. And I wore them, like, walking around. And my feet were hurting so bad. Yeah. And I remember I was at this job fair. And there was an, 
foot doctor podiatrist yeah and i just like stood next to him and i was like i why like my feet hurt so much but like we evolved to not wear shoes and i kept like pushing him like i couldn't get it and he said he's like yeah i mean you could say that but like before we had language we didn't have language so like you know you can't say that we didn't like we didn't evolve to have language or you know we didn't evolve to wear clothes so like some of that clearly is like oh well you know it's just natural it's good you know what else is natural like cyanide um so i think that there's some validity to what he's saying of if, if things have been a- around for a long time they're good but i also think it's hard to distinguish between you know like we just drank artificial sweeteners all studies that have tested them have found them safe but you know that doesn't mean that they're safe because they're new but like so are pants pants are not new so are spandex pants okay so like yeah i don't know if i'm gonna get some sort of like weird crotch rot from the spandex pants yep but like i don't know like so how how do you think about that okay how reconcile those two things in my mind this is this is fantastic because this is so far we've just been basically screaming i agree the entire time and uh this is a great example of where i think we completely disagree so the you and me or me and tulip or me and and you ah perfect ah yes so the naturalistic fallacy has a fallacy around it so if you read about the naturalistic fallacy, it applies to the ethical domain, meaning slavery has been around for a long time. Therefore, it must be fine. It must be good. Yeah. It does not mean just because something's been around for a long time, that means that it is good as in ethical. So it applies to the ethical domain, but to the functional, to the evolved domain, to the practical, what's going to work, what's going to predict, what can you predict is going to still be around. The naturalistic fallacy is not a fallacy. Because think about it, the longer there has been so much time that has gone by that anything fragile would have broken, meaning that if it's still here, that means think about the vast number of variations and volatility and fluctuations that haven't killed that thing. But that could legitimately just be because we haven't found a good enough technology yet yes like, why don't i have chrysalisks on my eyes like my eyes are extremely fragile and you know so like okay if a stick goes in my eye i'm actually fucked so like i i can't say oh well you know i i evolved to have this this no, 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 eye. that's not how that's applied it would you would the the takeaway would be that in a thousand years i bet creatures will have eyes that's the conclusion but I, I get okay. That's I understand that. But like, I th- he's saying a little bit that like, because I have eyes, and they're this way, that they are good. Even though if you ever gotten wood shavings in your eyes, it sucks ass. I don't think I, I don't think that he means the, the Lindy effect specifically. Means, You're right, the me, Lindy effect specifically. But me, I guess I'm going means, to more of like his view of it seems like the naturalistic fallacy is his friend because he's like deep on the paleo and keto train. I think he would, I think his point isn't that something is perfect. I think he is saying that, that the longer something's been around, the more, the, the more likely it is robust to volatility and error. And so you would, if you had, if you had to bet looking forward 
which things are going to be around, which things you should do, which things are going to work. Look and look at and do the things that people have done for a long time and have kept doing. Yeah, I guess he so he he is seems to be a fan of intermittent fasting. Yeah. And his thought process is like you're a lion, you don't need to eat very often. Hormesis too. You know, and like apparently there's some benefits of fasting. Um but I think especially for like sports performance, like people who don't eat every now and then like yes, hunter gatherers occasionally couldn't find food. But like if you're trying to engineer the perfect environment for building muscle and sports performance, it's not fasting. I, I think this would maybe um be an example of you know if you look at someone's insulin response right what their what their insulin level is it's like a lot of times people try to keep that like stable so you have like a certain amount of you know nutrition and caloric intake you know so it's smooth and even and his i think his thinking is like that is a fragilista interventionist modern modernity fallacy that we're doing meaning that the fluctuations are good because of nonlinear responses we get response when our sugar spikes really high we get a response when it's like nothing we don't haven't eaten in a day and those response those nonlinears are actually beneficial to our health and if you deprive yourself of those responses if you keep things so stable yeah well i feel like he's uh Totally right on everything else, except uh, I'm I'm calling that he's. But I think you're just too, taking it to somewhere else. You're like saying that the Lindy effect. I agree with that concept. Yeah. Okay. But because like, but it, you know, he was like, oh, you know, if I, if I don't eat protein for two days, then when I snack down on lamb chops, then it yeah. goes right to meat. It goes right to my muscles, and it's yeah. like, yeah, but like that's not optimal. Like, yes, right. your yes, your muscles can handle that situation. You have not died yet, but like. If you're trying to get fucking jacked, you know, you need to have protein every five hours or something right? Uh, to keep muscle protein synthesis maximized. And, right. you know, you need to have enough that you're in a net protein positive balance that you're not if you fast for two days. I think I think the take the I think if I had to guess his response to that would be to question whether maximizing muscle growth is optimal health. Yeah, well, then I would just uh, challenge him to a fight and run away. Yes. So I think we agree. That I think, I, but like the Lindy effect is totally valid. Like the thing that, mm-hmm. that that just stuck in my brain with that is that people have been like any time that you can connect two groups of people, money just poops out of that. You know, anytime a road was built between two cities. Yes. Money happens. Oh, yeah. Anytime a, an app connects two people. Two disparate groups, personal trainers and people who want to be trained. Yeah. Men and women who want to date. Yeah. Money. Buyers and sellers. Buyers and sellers. Money just happens. Yeah. So that concept has been around forever and that concept is still going to be around. Yeah. It's like if you had, he had a great point of like, if you had to look out into the future for a hundred years, it's like you wouldn't. It, most people go to oh there's going to be all these new crazy things that are going to be flying around and technology exactly and he's like it's more likely to look a lot like you know some of the same things we have maybe just more efficient you know and, and it's going to look like there's going to be things that we have today that are subtracted from the future not added because yeah. they'll just break and one thing about that uh, just as a slight t- side note but let's just go hard because we're going uh we're doing our having our options for this podcast free, real trap shit 
there was a there was a guy named Bjorn Longbord Berg or whatever. He did a study what on a like ridiculous how, name. I know he's from like Sweden or something. Sweden, Sweden. Uh, but he did a study of like how to spend a billion dollars or something like that. And he basically looked at okay, spending money on different areas of the economy in a country have different levels of benefit. Meaning, like you have, if you had a billion dollars or hundred billion dollars to spend or a trillion dollars to spend, it's like obviously you have to prioritize what to spend it on. Which things, if I spend a million, a billion dollars on this thing, does the most good for everybody in general? And so he ranked all the things you could spend money on. The top one for every single country was opening up free trade. Mm. It's like me- meaning, like if you break it down to an equation, like I put one dollar in. Math, like mathematically, how many dollars do I get out? It's like the highest arbitrage was opening up free trade, right? And even though specific local industries in your country are oh, going to yeah. be fragile, yeah, exactly. And, and, and by but the that way, makes the whole concept, the whole system, anti-fragile. And, and by the way, this is a, a parenthesis for this conversation. I'm so I'm so bullish to put out that word on not just not Bitcoin specifically, but like decentralized finance in general, because that is going to open up the freaking floodgates for me to buy and sell and trade with anyone in the world permissionlessly at low cost. That is going to do immeasurable things for the world, I believe. Dude, my brain's going to blow up. Yeah. Okay. Fuck. Holy shit. If you have made it this far. Congratulations. Congratulations, priest. You have done well. We're going to close it up now. Mr. Taleb. The man. The man, the myth, the psychopath (laughs) has been with us this whole time. And he ends this. He says, as usual, at the end of a journey, while I was looking at the entire manuscript on a restaurant table, someone from a Semitic culture asked me to explain my book standing on one leg. This time it was Shai Pilpel, a probabilist with whom I've had a two decades long calm conversation without a single episode of small talk. I think, a, I think you and I have never had small talk either. Yeah, never. Yeah, it's just more like, oh, cool. Teach me the exact way to get Jack Lats. <laughs> and then it just progressed from there. Mr. Taleb says, it is hard to find people knowledgeable and confident enough to like to extract the essence of things instead of nitpicking. With the previous book, one of his compatriots asked me the same question but I had to think about it. This time, I did not even have to make an effort. It was so obvious that Shai summed it up himself in the same breath. He actually believes that all real ideas can be distilled down to a central issue that the great majority of people in a given field, by dint of specialization and empty-suitedness, completely miss. Shay's extraction was, everything gains or loses from volatility fragility is what loses from volatility and uncertainty the glass on the table is short volatility Mm, trader terms trader the reader is invited to do the same look around you at your life at objects at relationships at entities you may replace volatility with other members of the disorder cluster here and there for clarity but it is not even necessary When formally expressed, it is all the same symbol. Time is volatility. Education in the sense of the formation of character, personality, and acquisition of true knowledge 
like this podcast. Likes, disorder. Label-driven education and educators abhor disorder. Some things break apart because of error. Others don't. Some theories fall apart, not others. Innovation is precisely something that gains from uncertainty. And some people sit around waiting for uncertainty and using it as a raw material just like our ancestral hunters. Dude, he's fucking going in. God. It so happens that everything non-linear is convex or concave or both, depending on the intensity of the stressor. So everything likes or hates volatility up to a point. Everything. We can detect what likes volatility thanks to convexity or acceleration in higher orders since convexity is the response by a thing that likes disorder. So all he's just saying right there is that we can detect when 1 plus 1 equals 800 and we can plan accordingly. We can build black swan protected systems thanks to, to detection of concavity. We can make medical decisions by understanding the convexity of harm and the logic of mother nature's tinkering on which side we face opacity, which error we should risk. So iatrogenics, should we get back surgery, even though in 10 years, people who don't get back surgery and who do have the same pain level. More technically, we may never get to know X, but we can play with the exposure to X. We can barbell things to defang them. We can control a function of X, even if X remains vastly beyond our understanding, like the olive press and the stars. We can keep changing f of x until we are comfortable with it by a mechanism called convex transformation, the fancier name for the barbell. This short maxim also tells you where fragility supersedes truth, why we lie to children, and why we humans got a bit ahead of ourselves in this large enterprise called modernity. Distributed randomness is a necessity, not an option. Everything big is short volatility. So is everything fast. Big and fast are abominations. Modern times don't like volatility. And the triad gives us some indication of what should be done to live in a world that does not want us to understand it. A world whose charm comes from our inability to truly understand it. The glass is dead. Living things are long volatility. The best way to verify that you are alive is by checking if you like variations. Remember that food would not have a taste if it weren't for hunger. Results are meaningless without effort, joy without sadness, conviction without uncertainty, and an ethical life isn't so when stripped of personal risks. And once again, reader, thank you for reading my book. What the fuck? Holy shit. I'm going to die. That was so much. That changes everything, man. Dude, I firmly believe that understanding this book and the Black Swan, that's like the 80-20 about decision-making, investing, and how to navigate fucking life. That like, if you truly just understand those two books and then the 80-20 principle, and then just like some other books we covered on the podcast, dog, you're good. You know, the go- the cool thing about this stuff is that if, let's say you listen to this podcast, let's say you read through one of Taleb's tomes. You, d- you might not understand it all the way on the first glance or in the first listen to this podcast. I certainly did not. I've had to listen to it. Like, I listened to it when... I, so, I edited it 
obviously. Yeah. Then when it comes out, I listen to it just because I just want to make sure right. like nothing fucked up went yeah, through the editing because it's like good to listen to it again. Yeah. But like by the third time I've listened to all this stuff, yeah, I was texting Jordy for weeks. Oh yeah, like man. exactly. Like, oh my god, this this slam. The the beautiful thing about this though is that it plants a seed in your mind just to notice non-linearities, just to notice options, just to notice anti-fragile things and fragile things for that matter and once you do that it's like an infection and then it just grows it grows and pretty soon you're just looking at your entire world going damn it Taleb I need to be anti-fragile I need options all hail rat Taleb and we covered it all from putting a name to a new concept with the word anti-fragile to diving deep into options and optionality to breaking down the barbell strategy, teaching us the way to get rich, jacked, and become a god among men. It's not to know a bunch of stuff. It is to barbell your life, to remove as much fragility as possible from the left side and stack options on the right. Things with low cost but high payoff and let time, the greatest form of disorder, pass as you sit back Hucking gold into your fucking dragon's lair. Any last words, my friend? I encourage you, dear listener, if you've listened this far, to just not try too hard to understand all this stuff, but just simply look around and look for some examples of fragile things and anti-fragile things. And from there, it'll all take care of itself. And that, my friends, that's all. If you like this podcast... Leave us a review on iTunes, even if it's just one word, blood, or two words, take scalps, or three words, murder, murder, murder. <laughs> and if you know anyone else, friends, who are, you know, you, you, they look like they're wearing lingerie because their code of scalps is so tattered and old, you know, maybe tell them about this here podcast because, you know, our goal is to all become kusemonos with our code of scalps dragging for miles. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.